Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod and our deep dive today with Charlie Sykes, founder and editor-in-chief of the website The Bulwark. Well, we're six months into the Biden presidency now, but if you thought everybody would have accepted that reality, you're mistaken. Donald Trump was back on the campaign trail last weekend, still insisting that he and not Joe Biden won the 2020 election, which he calls the crime of the century. He still believes that unofficial recounts underway in Arizona and Georgia will result in Biden's victory being overturned, And according to the National Review, get this, Trump is assuring supporters that he'll be back in the Oval Office fully reinstated as president by August. What the hell's going on? And why do so many Republicans buy into this crap? We visit today with one former Republican who's not buying that crap and is in fact urging fellow conservatives to dump Trump and get back to debating ideas and issues like they used to. Former conservative talk show host Charlie Sykes is editor-in-chief of The Bulwark and a frequent contributor to MSNBC. Hi, Charlie. It's good to have you back on the Bill Press Pod. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me back. So you're back, and uh, Donald Trump is back Saturday night in North Carolina, out of exile uh, in Bedminster with a Uh, a whole new, hopeful, futuristic message for the Republican Party, right? Yeah, as as if. Uh, (laughs) Kind of a low energy speech, but uh, it's still pretty clear that this guy is not letting go and he's going to continue to push various versions of the big lie. So this is this is our life for the next four years. He calls it the crime of the century. (laughs) Uh, I find it interesting. That's the same phrase that Benjamin Netanyahu is using uh, in yeah, Israel. <laughs> yeah, real coincidence there. No, and he's got uh, it's got some new wrinkles on it. But you know, look, um, th- this is the what I've called the doom loop of crazy that's going on mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. That you have these uh, you have these bizarre conspiracy theories that are out there festering in the fever swamp, and then somehow they get to the former president of the United States, who then finds a way to push them out into the mainstream, and then you get millions of Americans. That believe that, and you have stories about Mark Meadows, you know, calling up the Department of Justice, saying, "Can you look into this bizarre theory that some somebody in Italy might have used some sort of yeah. what you know X-ray vision to flip the ballots?" And this is a this is going on, and this is what we're talking about in America in 2021. Right, I, I know, and you know, it was wasn't that he was asking. It was almost that like he was demanding that the Justice Department uh, investigate these loopy theories. I, I love that phrase, "doom loop of of uh, crazy." Great. But uh, uh, it included in that doom loop is this idea that uh, Donald Trump is, as you report in the Bulwark, 
and National Review reports that he's telling people he expects to be reinstated in the Oval Office in August. I mean, what the hell? I'm really out of words, you know, deranged, delusional, (laughs) insane, crazy. Where where do you go on all of this to to believe that? I mean, this is something that, you know, Sidney Powell might float or my pillow guy might float. Uh, Does he actually believe it? I I don't know. But, you know, an idea, even if an idea is fake, it can still be very, very dangerous if enough Mm -hmm. people believe it. Because, you know, think of it as kind of a continuation of the big lie. If you have people who are poised to think, you know what, he's, 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 he's coming back, that's just going to add to the disillusionment, the disappointment, the outrage, the paranoia uh, among those folks, who knows how many there are, uh, when it doesn't happen. And unfortunately, we've seen how that can metastasize into violence. We've already seen it. And that threat is ongoing. Right. I mean, one phrase you do use is, which I love, is weapons-grade lunacy. (laughs) But we're all searching for phrases uh, to describe this. But as you point out uh, and report, in Reuters shows that 25% of all Americans, 53% of Republicans, believe that Donald Trump is the true president of the United States today. What does that tell us? Well, I, I, I hope it doesn't tell us what I think it tells us, which is that we, we are really screwed. I, what I hope it, it says is that people are just telling pollsters whatever in order to signal some sort of tribal identity or loyalty. Um, but it's 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 bad. See, th- this is why it's the doom loop. It, you have the crazy idea. Donald Trump accepts it. But the real danger is that people out there in the world believe that stuff as well. And then that's what's and that's really what's so frightening. And that's why Trump continues to push these lines, because he knows that there's an audience for it. And, and I'll tell you that, see, the, Bill, the, the thing that's the most alarm, OK, like there are many alarming things here, mm-hmm. but that there are people in the world that, you know, and that we used to think of as grownups who continue to look at all of this and look at Donald Trump, what's going on inside his mind. And think, yeah, this, this would be okay if he became president again. Let's put him back in the Oval Office. Let's give him the nuclear codes again. Let's put him in charge of the Department of Justice again. It, you know, and, and the fact that the Republicans not only continue to enable this, but m- might actually nominate this guy for presidency, the presidency again, having seen every single iteration of his craziness. That, that I have to tell you, even after the last four years, I find that to be mind-blowing. Uh, and it really does um, delegitimize democracy, right? I mean, the end result. Right. Of- well, and this is an important point. Um, and I'm kind of tired of people talking about, well, what is the effect does this have on the Republican Party? Is this going to help the party in the midterms or not? Well, you know, forget that. What is this doing to America? This mm-hmm. is bad for the country. This is bad for democracy, and and the delegitimization of the, of our democratic process is now central to both Trump's politics and to the politics of the Republican Party. And it's happening on on many fronts. It's happening in the state legislatures, right? It's happening uh, at Mar-a-Lago in Bedminster. Uh, it's happening uh, in the Congress. It does seem a concerted effort on, on many fronts to. Um, to challenge what led to Joe Biden, Donald Trump's loss and Joe Biden's uh, win in, in November 2020. I think that's true. And I think it's it's difficult to overstate the fact that this is the this is the id right now 
of the right. This is the issue. Um, the at, at the rallies and the meetings and the conventions, um, this is what's going to get the biggest applause, the biggest emotional response, not infrastructure spending, not whether we're going to have universal uh, child care, or child credits or any of those mm -hmm. things. This is no longer about policy at all. Right. It, it is about this whole electoral thing, which they, they go under the sort of Orwellian title of election integrity. But what it really is, is it's about uh, let's make sure that we don't have an electorate that does what the actual electorate did in 2020. Right. You you touched on something which I was going to ask you, and that is, look, you and I know a lot of these people, right? Now, there are some, there are some crazies. I would put Josh Hawley in that category and Lindsey Graham in that category. But there are other people like Rob Portman or, I don't know, Richard Burr or Roy Blunt. Uh, even I thought Mitch McConnell, they can't believe this crap. No. Why don't they why don't they speak out against it and say, whoa, this has gone too far, guys? Right. Well, because they're thoroughly transactional and because they they're they're constantly waiting for somebody else to fix this for them, which is kind of a flashback to 2015, where the Republican establishment figured we won't do anything mm. about Trump because some something will come along, right? If something will yeah. happen, there'll be a meteor or somebody else will take this guy off our hands. But can I just say I don't think Josh Hawley's crazy. I think that Josh Hawley is just utterly disingenuous. I mean, I, I there are the absolute crazies out there. But then there are just these cynical opportunists, and I would put the mm -hmm. Ted Ted Cruz. Don't 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 let them off the hook by calling them crazy. Ted yeah. Ted Cruz Good and point. Josh Hawley are really really smart guys who are deeply uh, intellectually corrupt, uh, who are cynically willing to manipulate all of this for their own personal advancement, and and I think that in terms of like who should be held the most culpable. You know, the, the people like the Sean Hannity's of the world, let's face it. I mean, the guy's as dumb as a box of rocks, you know, whatever. He, Sean does Sean. It's the smart guys who should know better, who do know better, who I think need to be held to a different level of moral culpability. And I would include the Tucker Carlson's, the Josh Hawley's, and the Ted Cruz's. Um, they are the worst actors. Then, of course, you have the cowards that you mentioned, the people, the transactionalists mm -hmm. who just figure in order to keep my... Republican credentials intact. I just can't do this. You know, the the purging of Liz Cheney was a shot across the bow to all of those uh, those those guys, and they they you know as as a warning that if we're prepared to do this, Liz Cheney, we'll, we we'll do this to anybody. We will purge, excommunicate any one of you that decides to speak out against uh, the big lie. Would you put Lindsey Graham in the cynical opportunist category? Why? Yes, but but I I put I put him as you know in the fluffer category. Um, that he there's there's he's got a sycophantic gene. He needs to be like the pilot fish. He needs to find <laughs> someone. I, there's something about him. You know, it's like John McCain was he could be the pilot fish, and John yeah. McCain was the big fish, and then John McCain leaves, and he needs to find somebody else. So uh, I I don't know. Lindsey Graham's a more complicated psychological uh, analysis, and, and that's way above my pay grade. Uh, and so there's another player out there. You mentioned Sidney Powell, but the pillow guy, Mike Lindell, who's, who's out there uh, selling this insane theory again, that he's got evidence, and once he gets it in front of the Supreme Court, they're going to vote nine to nothing. 
to overturn this election. Yeah, it, his evidence will be so good that Rachel Maddow will admit, <laughs> okay, no, that's he said. He said this, and look in in a in a rational universe, in in a healthy political culture, you 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 put a guy like Lindell in treatment, right? No. Yes. Um, but he apparently does have the president's ear still. He's having a rally here in my home state of Wisconsin. I was going probably... to ask you about that. Yeah, the June June 12th, right? Yeah. Right. And Trump is going to be speaking at it you know, via Jumbotron or whatever, which was large scale. I mean, it was like 50 inch TV, I guess. But I mean, you also have people like Diamond and Silk are showing up and Charlie Kirk and Sheriff David Clark and Dinesh D'Souza and these folks. It's like so. Not not only is my pillow guy out there with these almost clinically insane predictions, he's not alone, and he's not he's not being isolated in Trump world. And so, and and the former and perhaps future president of the United States continues to sort of lay hands upon him and give him his imprimatur, which again is this doom loop of crazy. You know, if if somebody was at a bar spouting off like this, you would what? You would tell the bartender to cut him off, right? You, Stop you, serving him, right? <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't say, "Hey, could you give? Could you put this guy on the loudspeaker?" <laughs> he just wouldn't do it. <laughs> well, you use that phrase "lay hands on him," which is certainly a, which is of course a religious term. But we are talking about um, what amounts to a religious cult, aren't we? With a lot of these Republicans, uh, Republicans. Yeah. It, it it is a cult, and and I'm. The, we, We've used the phrase a lot. People have used it a lot. But I have to say that the only way you can understand Republican politics these days is to see it as a cult. It doesn't function like a political party anymore. It does function like a cult. I mean, you you remember, I, I was actually talking to somebody about this before on, on a podcast I did with, with, with Mona Charon. We were talking about, do you remember when, when Richard Nixon uh, went to China? Yeah, of course. Um, do you remember but a lot of Republicans broke with him? William F. Buckley and the whole conservative mm -hmm. movement was objecting to that. Now I'm not I'm not talking about the merits of whether this was a good thing or a bad thing, but there was no sense that, you know, if if the that the president was a god king and therefore if the president did something we absolutely had to go along with him no matter what there right. was always some sort of a this is a politician and we will hold him to certain normal standards of behavior that just doesn't exist any longer in this party you know it reminds me um i spent some time in the seminary and i spent some time studying these preachers throughout history who have predicted with absolute certainty, the end of the world, a certain day, a certain time, and they would tell their followers to show up and wear their white robes, and they would assemble on the hilltop. And this happened over and over again. And of course, the end of the world <laughs> never came, but his followers still believe them, right? Uh, yes. To me, it's just like we see with Donald Trump today. Well, well it is, and it's it's the psychology of just wanting to belong, um, fear of being isolated, and the one thing they've done effectively is they've made examples of people who have you know who stand up and go, "The emperor has no clothes." I mean, look, there is no civil war in the Republican Party, and I know you know this. There's no civil war. There's just a purge. Mm -hmm. And and that's what that whole Liz Cheney uh, episode was about. I mean, it was the same thing that, uh, you know, you, you, you don't need to hang everybody by a lamppost. You know, you only need to hang a couple of people before everybody gets the idea. And that's what's happened in the Republican Party. They look around, they go, 
I don't want to become like uh, Jeff Flake. You know, I don't want to become like Mark Sanford. I don't want to become like one of these other guys who is a, as, as a pariah. And it's been very effective in shutting them down. Now, having said that, I, I, I'm still surprised that there were uh, seven Republican United States senators that voted to convict uh, Donald Trump in the impeachment. I mean, that that's still a remarkable uh, moment um, that, that there were there were that many. But how many of them are running for reelection or ever will be reelected? And of course, so many of them do believe that Donald Trump is their ticket to electoral win themselves and for the party in 2022 and 2024. Do you think that is well-founded? I mean, look what happened in those two Georgia Senate seats after Donald Trump lost the presidency. Um, well, I, I would think that that would have been more of a uh, of a wake-up call than it turned out to be, that, that yeah. Donald Trump managed to lose control of the United States Senate by losing two seats that were should have been unlosable for Republicans, mm -hmm. and yet no. Well, for a lot of these guys, the answer is yes, because all they care about is the primary. They're not, you know, they're they're in states mm -hmm. that are so deeply red that they figured that uh, they can go along with this and they will be reelected. And the only threat they actually face is a primary threat. And as long as that's the case, they will go along with it. And I think a lot of them have convinced themselves that it's going to be an off-year election. We're going to we win back power, um, and then we'll move on to whatever, I don't know, whatever it is that they intend to do or not do in power. I, the reason I say that is it, it, it just strikes me how indifferent to actual public policy or to governing um, much of the Republican Party is these days. They just don't seem interested in it at all anymore. Uh, I was struck by Brian Kemp, governor, Republican governor of Georgia, uh, booed at his convention um, this, last, this last weekend. But Brian Kemp is a Republican who looks like he's um, able and willing to stand up to Donald Trump, at least on some issues, and still survive. Do you see it that way? I mean, is, is, could he be sort of a model for, hey, we don't have to be 100% in Trump's pocket? That will be very interesting to see what happens to him. Mm -hmm. um, and, and and again, like Liz Cheney, in a sense, he his record is very, very conservative. On policy issues, you know, there's, oh, yeah. no, there's, there's no difference between himself and Trump world. The only thing that he was not willing to do was to overturn a valid, fair and free election. Uh, he wasn't willing to violate his oath of office. It right. does appear that he's still standing. But the fact that he was booed, um, is uh, is typical of what's happening at the state level all across the country. I mean, as bad as the Republican Party in Washington uh, has been, the state parties have become even more radicalized. And everywhere you look and you find a Republican who stood behind the legitimacy of the election, you see the the local parties censuring them, excommunicating them, ousting them from office. So, th th and this is this is a very consistent pattern around the country. Right. Uh, I, I saw this morning that after this rally in North Carolina, where he endorsed uh, Congressman Butt in the Senate, Buck, I guess, in the Senate race, um, that the president, former president, I'm sorry, uh, Trump, plans rallies to support Senate candidates in Ohio, Florida, Alabama, and again uh, in Georgia. Uh, you just got to wonder if that's going to be that helpful. Well, you know, this this is this is this is an important question because if he shows up at those states and and 
the heart of his message is that the election system is corrupt and illegitimate, then right. he then it is as likely that he will suppress the Republican vote <laughs> as, as to turn yeah, out yeah. the Republican vote. And so this is not speculative on my part. This is literally what happened uh, in January in the state of Georgia. And by, and by the way, just remind people that that Georgia election was January 5th. It was literally the day before the attack on the Capitol. Right. Charlie Sykes is the editor-in-chief of the website, The Bulwark, which, again, I, I subscribe to and read and enjoy and learn a lot from every day, and you should, too. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back and uh, discuss some other topics in today's political news with Charlie Sykes here on The Bill Press Pod. Podcast with Charlie Sykes brought to you by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, America's largest and most diverse labor union with over one and a half million members, representing everybody from vegetable workers in California to brewery workers in St. Louis to construction workers in Las Vegas. They are, as they say, everything from A to Z, from airline pilots to zookeepers, and of course, our great American truckers, all under the leadership of President Jim Hoffa. Check out their website at teamster.org. And we thank the Teamsters, men and women strong, for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back. Our guest, uh, Charlie Sykes, The Bulwark, uh, The Bulwark. Dot com subscribe to it and uh, live by it as I do as and many of my fellow uh, political junkies like me. Uh, Charlie, you've been talking a lot about this January six vote on to, to create this commission. Um, you ask the question office often, what were you thinking? <laughs> what were conservatives thinking and Mitch McConnell thinking by saying we don't know what we don't want to know what happened on January six? Well, I think first of all, well, we we have to like step back because it's easy to be numbed by all of this, but there are some things that we ought to retain our ability to be surprised by. 
the the vote to kill a independent bipartisan commission to look into January 6th is a genuinely surprising, shocking thing when you think about it, because you would think that both political parties that live through this, each and every one of them experienced this, would want to find to get to the the truth. This was a compromise proposal. It was negotiated by Republicans. Uh, Nancy Pelosi gave the Republicans virtually everything they wanted, if not everything they wanted. So you think about this, you think about what Mitch McConnell said in the wake of January 6th, um, how strong, and that speech was strong. I mean, whatever you think about Mitch McConnell, that moment was strong. Um, Even Kevin McCarthy had this brief spasm of, of lucidity about what had happened. And brief. to watch, very brief, very, very, very brief. To watch them essentially saying, we want to memory hold this, we don't want to litigate this, is really you know, an indication of, of what's happening with them. But also this claim that that you know we want to move ahead, we don't want to relitigate the yeah. past. Yeah. Well, of course, that's all Donald Trump wants to do. So good luck with that. Right. But, but there is something, there's, there is a real, uh, a real abdication of uh, of responsibility in 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 voting against this. Uh, they take an oath. These guys take an oath of law. Them women. They take an oath of office to uphold the Constitution. Uh, they represent the country, and yet in this particular case, they put partisan political concerns ahead of the country. Literally, they had an opportunity to put country ahead of party, and they did the opposite. And so, I I, I think it is genuinely appalling and shocking. George Conway said this vote was worse than the vote not to impeach Donald Trump, right? I agree with him completely about that. Uh, You could certainly make an argument uh, that uh, the removal of the president or the disqualification of the president was was a was a you know very dramatic, perhaps extreme step. I certainly did not think it was. I thought it was completely justifiable. But you could make a principled argument. Um, about that. You could also make a strained argument that he'd already left office, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But this, there's no downside. There's no, this, this, is the kind, this is the kind of thing that both political parties should do if you take the event seriously. And what the Republicans have decided is that they're going to go into this memory erasure. They're going to uh, engage in this historical revisionism despite the pictures, despite the experience, mm-hmm. despite the attacks on the cops. Um, and that's that's still remarkable, even even given their long track record of uh, of uh, of moral lapses. Um, what do you make of Mike Pence last week um, saying that he and Trump will never see eye to eye about January 6th? Is this his declaration of independence? No, it's his, it's a his declaration <laughs> of straddling. It's 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 Mike Pence who wants to have it both ways. It's really, Pence is just, look, I, I, I got into an argument last week with Amanda Carpenter about this. I, I am willing to give Pence credit for what he did on January 6th. Look, here's a guy who was a complete sycophant who was, you know, did not break with Trump on anything for four consecutive years. He was the loyalist of the loyal guys, but he reached his breaking point on January 6th. He refused to go along with the with the coup with with the overturning mm-hmm. of the election, if he would have gone along with Trump, our history might have been very very different. But he didn't. So give him at least one little star for for that. 
And yet now he's giving these speeches where he goes, where he says, well, we'll never see eye to eye. So in other words, yes, I believe the president might have incited, you know, a an insurrection to overthrow the government of the United States, which uh, his supporters were chanting, hang Mike Pence. But I'm still proud to work with the guy. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. you, you, you literally cannot have it both ways. And politically, I don't think it'll work either. Well, without a January 6th commission, you just mentioned Amanda Carpenter, and in this morning's Bulwark, she has uh, an excellent reporting piece uh, on um, the phrase uh, the in insurrection, and looking back at that the insurrection didn't just happen on January 6th. This was building up in Trump's language and the language of other people, and in the language and particularly rhetoric of the Oath Keepers for a long time leading up to what we saw on Jan and experienced on January 6th. Well, yes, and, and I would urge people to read this because, and, and this draws upon many of the indictments that are coming down right now, and you start to see how, in fact, the president's rhetoric fed into all of this, how the use of use of force in a year ago, June, in Lafayette Square mm -hmm. um, was signaled uh, his willingness to use this kind of force, perhaps use the military force, uh, the the speculation about the invocation of the Insurrection Act, how it bubbled up throughout the summer with some of his rhetoric about the Black Lives Matter protest. And this is why, again, it was not just a one-time thing. It was building, but it's also why it is ongoing. Because all of these things continue to fester out there, and every time the president floats one of his crazy ideas, uh, it feeds into this. It doesn't need to have 10 million people believe it. It only needs to have, what, 10,000 people believe it for us to be in a very dangerous uh, situation. And the Oath Keepers and, and some of those other groups, clearly, as Amanda reports in, in the Bulwark report, they were looking to Donald Trump for direction, right? They were following, basically, they felt they were following his orders. And they say that explicitly. They, this is what's interesting about it. They want. They say things like, "We want to give President Trump what he, President Trump, what he wants." You know, if things go kinetic, good. Um, they, they, they want the, the president to, to, you know, to, to invoke the Insurrection Act. We hope he will give us the orders. One of them said, "We want him to declare an insurrection and to call us up as the militia." So yes, it, 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 there's no ambiguity about what their motivation was, or about the fact that they were listening to Trump and they thought they were getting the signals from him. So you, we all remember during the debate when the issue of the Oath Keepers came up and he said, no, it was the Proud Boys. And he said, you know, stand back or, I mean, so nuts. You didn't and say stand, stand by. Stand, right? stand by. Look, they, they understand these signals. They understand the wink and the nod. And this ideology has been, and I have to tell you, it continues to percolate throughout some of the organs of the right. And so uh, anyone who thinks that, and this is again, one of the reasons why I think the January 6th commission was so urgent, is this is an ongoing threat. It's not a one-time thing. In the history of coups, one of the things that's consistent is that successful coups invariably follow, or usually follow, unsuccessful coups where people learn from the mistakes, they, in a sense, uh, turn them into rehearsals for the real thing. So I understand that some people might think that's alarmist, but sometimes there are reasons to be alarmed. 
So that you believe um, a, another January 6th or worse um, is a possibility? Oh, absolutely. There's no question about it. I mean, you know, we're, we're a country of, uh, of, arm, of, you know, people who are heavily, heavily armed, who believe that their country is, is under assault. And look, let's be honest about this. Let's assume that they're acting in good faith. Imagine if you believed that your country was being destroyed. Imagine if you actually believed that the legitimate president of the United States was ousted through corruption and by people who hated America, were going to destroy America, um, were dismantling the Constitution and all things that were good and decent. And so that America is under attack. And if you think of yourself as a patriot, what would you be prepared to do? And this is the mentality that's, that's spreading on the right. Believing that the, the the left hates God, hates America, hates all of these things, wants to eliminate them, steals elections, is undermining the Constitution, and they see themselves as standing up for it. So at a certain point, there is a rationale for violence that, that if you get into their mindset, you can understand why they would think it would be a good thing to assault the Capitol or kidnap the governor of Michigan or take some other, what we would think of as extreme action um, with, that they think of as, uh, as being a patriotic militia. Uh, which I guess leads us to the, to the moment, and Charlie, I know you, you think about this and write about this a lot, is how the hell do we get out of this mess that we're in right now, where the country is hopelessly divided, where there is a deliberate attempt to delegitimize or undermine uh, our democracy, and where some people really feel that the country uh, has been basically stolen from them, uh, the election stolen from them, uh, and um, a phony guy planted in the Oval Office. How do we get out of this mess? How do we move forward? What do we need? I'd love to be able to pretend that I had an answer to that, but but I but I don't. But I would say two things. Number one, uh, do you feel hopeful? Do you feel hopeful that we can get out of it? I feel hopeful, but not necessarily optimistic. Those are two different mm. things. Optimism just assume things are going to get better. Hope is the belief that if we do the right things, <laughs> that we can come out on the other side. No, number one, for Democrats, um, do not screw this up. It is absolutely important that Democrats do not find a way to blow the next two elections because you do not want to have these people back in power. Um, so I, I don't see this fever breaking until it is subjected to decisive defeats. And I'm not sure that's going to happen mm -hmm. anytime soon. You know, had Donald Trump been overwhelmingly defeated, uh, had Republicans been routed across the board, um, you might have had more of a space for the return of rational Republicans, because you do need two rational political parties. As long as you have one political party that is lost to dementia like this, um, the, the, the Republic is going to be in danger. So it's going to have to take uh, some cycles, maybe two or three election cycles to, to get through all of this. But at some point, it's also going to require people to do what Liz Cheney did. And I, I, I think that's sort of the good news and the bad news. I mean, the good news is that Liz Cheney was prepared to stand up to her own party and speak out. The bad news is how incredibly isolated she is. So yeah. we are nowhere near seeing this fever breaking. Other than Liz Cheney, uh, is there anybody in today's Republican Party you see as a leader out of the wilderness or, or the leaders of? Not really. 
Um, really? Wow. Well, that says, you, that says well, a lot. You, you have you have folks like Adam Kinzinger who've also spoken yeah. out, who've been strong about it. I, you know, will he survive his primary? Will she surprise, uh, survive her primary? I don't know. I would like to say Mitt Romney, uh, who I have tremendous respect for, but he's over seventy years old, and I don't see that he's got a you know particular um, agenda at the moment to be the leader on all of these issues. Uh, you know, so I, I, I don't, I don't see it. That's part of the problem. And you look at 2024, there's no one who would be able to take on Donald Trump in a Republican primary and beat him. Most of them would simply, you know, fade into the woodwork. And if Donald Trump doesn't win, the odds on favorites would be Trump, uh, you know, wannabes, mini me's, you know, like, like Ron DeSantis. So Mm -hmm. no, I don't. Sorry. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I join you with your hope, and I join you with your lack of optimism, too, I must say. Charlie, uh, before we let you go, uh, tell us about the bulwark and give us a good, uh, a good plug on how people can, uh, can find it and what they will find when they get there. Well, the, the Bulwark website is, you know, continues to be and, and will be free. Uh, but we have Bulwark Plus, which gives people access to my daily newsletter, uh, JVL's daily newsletter, as well as a host of podcasts that we have there. Um, we're trying to keep the the flame uh, lit. I think there was the big question was, well, what are you guys at the Bulwark going to do after Donald Trump leaves office? Because everything will be solved then, right? Well, no, the fight against crazy <laughs> goes on. And we're trying to be that voice in the wilderness, uh, we are. We don't have a party line. We are centrist, center left, center right. Uh, we sort of committed to saying what we actually believe, which means we antagonize people on both sides. But we're going to continue doing it. We're very, very grateful for all the people who support us through Bulwark Plus. All right, and uh, we thank you for what you're doing. Congratulate you on the success of the Bulwark so far, and thank you for your time again today, Charlie. We'll see you back again soon. I hope on the Bill Press Pod. Bill, I enjoyed it very much. And that's it for today's podcast with Charlie Sykes. Again, check out The Bulwark. Uh, You'll really like it. I do. I get a lot out of it every morning, thebulwark.com. Also, hope you get a lot out of the Bill Press Pod, and we'll be back at the end of the week with this week's roundtable featuring three of Washington's top political reporters. Until then, stay strong, stay safe, take care of yourself. Still wear that mask if you're around people you're not sure if they've been vaccinated or not. Take care of yourself. We're not out of the woods yet, but we'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.